I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. David Wilcox, author of How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, a Patient's Handbook for Survival. After 28 years in the healthcare business, Dr. David Wilcox has seen enough to realize that it truly is a business as opposed to the kind-hearted healing services that most of us might imagine it to be. His new book reveals some unsettling facts. There is little or no transparency about hospital procedures so that the average healthcare consumer doesn't know how to assess the healthcare system when they need it. He believes in proactive patient education and shares information, facts, and tips that can help patients and family members navigate through the morass. Dr. Wilcox has nearly three decades of healthcare experience as an ICU nurse, transplant nurse, hospital administrator, and in healthcare information technology. Welcome to the show, Dr. David Wilcox. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for yeah. having me today. I'm looking yeah, forward to our to discussion. Well, you've had uh, you've had a lot of experience in uh, nearly three decades in the health healthcare experience. Actually, what I was going to say, what really made you decide, or what I say, opened your eyes to what was going on and the lack of information for consumers, and once something happens to them and they get in the healthcare system, they 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 really don't know what to do. It is a morass and it becomes chaotic. Uh, when did you first realize, hey, because you were a nurse, um, this is happening, or what is happening? Yeah, so, um, you know, medical errors are the third leading cause of death. Not a lot of people know that, and that's um, across the board, can be different kind of errors. Entering the American healthcare system, one has to have a basic knowledge of it to be safe. And I thought about, after I finished my doctorate degree in May of 2020, I thought, you know, what is the best way I can give back and arm people to enter the American healthcare system safely? And I thought it was important that a nurse write this book because, um, you know, the doctor will spend some time with you and diagnose you, but then they turn you over to us. We are the people who help you get through your illness, your cancer, uh, whatever it might be. We are the people who hold your hand when your loved one's dying. We go into these innermost spaces, and I, I describe a couple of experiences in the book about that, where I'm taking care of a guy in the ICU who says to me, um, and I'm titrating his drips to just keep him alive, and I know his prognosis isn't good. And the guy says to me, grabs my arm and says, am I going to die? I mean, you know... That's just like getting hit in the face with a ton of bricks. What do you say in that situation? I said to him, sir, I said, I would be surprised if you lived um, another 72 hours. I said, we're going to do everything we can. But whatever you need to do to have a peaceful death, you probably need to work on. And, uh, and he said, thank you. I saw his wife about a year later in the hospital cafeteria. She came up, ran up and hugged me. And she said, thank you for being so honest with my husband. My husband called our daughter, who we hadn't spoken to in 20 years, and made amends shortly before he died. Um, you know, it's that innermost space. It's like, how do you get this information to people? If you, you know, if one person benefits from this book, I'm good with it. You know, if 10 people benefit, I'm better with it. And if 100 people benefit from it, that's great. But I just felt like this is a tool that Americans need to have in order to be able to navigate the healthcare system. And, and it covers a wide gamut. It's like, what do you do if the insurance company denies your claim? 
Well, I want to get back to that story, David. I want to get back to that story. I don't want to leave that story, I want to say, because it's so important and it's something that when you get, you know, as you describe that situation, uh, doctors tend to, for whatever reason, not want to tell you the truth. And everything is, you know, don't give up hope. There's always hope. There are a lot of these kind of cliches that you have to deal with if if one is in the hospital. But by... Speaking the truth, I mean, if you keep that in mind, which is obviously something that you do, not just in the live or die situation, it doesn't necessarily have to be so dramatic. Uh, Positive things come from it. More truthful things happen, which is what happened with this man. I I mean, I think that's a great, great story. It's an important story. Yeah. And I think that um, doctors, you know, like like anybody else, they have a fear of failure. They don't want to give up. And they're great at selling hope, but I can't tell you how many people I've seen that got a uh, trach to breathe through in their neck and a uh, peg tube to be fed and go to nursing homes and just, you know, suffer um, because the doctor couldn't just say to the family, hey, we're at end of life here and let's get hospice involved and let's, let's send your loved one home to die in the home, you know. Um, uh, what about really David, what about during a- what about during COVID? Did, have things changed as a result of COVID? I know. Did were you working in hospital during COVID? I was not working in the hospital during COVID, but I know a lot of people who were. Um, and COVID has changed the face of healthcare forever. I mean, right now, you know, I mean, you couldn't be with your loved one when, when they were dying. You'd have to do it on Facetime if you were lucky enough to do it. My stepfather um, died of COVID, and none of us could be there with him. Um, it's just, you know, it's crazy times. And now we're seeing the fallout of the, of the staff. I mean, the nurses are leaving in droves to either A, travel, or B, they made enough money traveling that they're taking the rest of the year off. Um, you know, throwing money at the problem was not really the, really a good answer. But, yeah, COVID's changed the face of healthcare. Uh, you're going to see hospital systems that are going to start to take care of more patients at home using technology than they will be taking care of them in the hospital. That's a model we're going to see shift. Telemedicine. Yes. Well, telemedicine and home health care nurses. It's, we have the equipment to take care of people in the home. And, uh, and statistics show that they do better. They fall less. They can eat what they want to do, eat. They can pet their dog. They can walk. You know, I mean, in a hospital, you're pretty much confined. Um, and hospitals are very germy places. I mean, if you're going to catch something, you're, you're easy to catch in the hospital. That's why in the book I talk about any clinician who comes near you or family member, make sure you watch them wash their hands for at least 20 seconds because that right there will take down your risk of getting anything in a hospital. I've done that. I've done that actually in a doctor's office and and. Uh, saying to the person who was giving me the shot, did you wash your hands? You know, and of course they were mad at me, but you know, then I didn't want them to jam me with the needle, <laughs> but you know, you're kind of in a vulnerable position, but you know, I, I just had to say it right. I used, I didn't really see you wash your hands. Um, yeah. So yeah, COVID has changed everything. But when you talk about nurses, when you're home healthcare, you mean the nurses actually coming door to door and going into people's homes to take care of them rather than, patients coming to the hospital? That's correct. Um, yeah, we're going to, well, we're starting to see a significant shift. So let's talk, let's talk about the healthcare system overall. So in the current healthcare system, 
fee for service. You show up at the hospital, you show up at the doctor's office, you're making the money, right? So if you don't come in, like we saw in COVID, if you didn't come in because you were afraid of COVID, then taxpayers were bailing these hospitals out. They're using our money to bail the hospitals out so we can have access to care. Only 25% of Americans know about this new system that we have in place called value-based care, which is delivered by accountable care organizations. So value-based care is a capitated model, meaning that the insurance companies pay a certain amount per head for the patient to the accountable care organization, and then they are charged with keeping you healthy. The team is charged with keeping you healthy and out of the hospital. It is the perfect system for us because, you know, Americans are never going to move to socialized medicine, and, and that either works really good in some countries or really poorly. But value-based care, where the clinicians are charged with keeping you healthy, changes the whole game. So let's talk about congestive heart failure patients. They, they present in the ED emergency department all the time in crisis, right? So using technology, you can actually, and Best Buy is getting into this game just to, as a, as a sideline because they know how to set up equipment. You can get a, a blood pressure cuff. You can get a pulse oximeter. You can get, um, you can get scales that feed up into the cloud and a nurse navigator can monitor your clinical picture. So they say, Hey, Catherine, I noticed you just gained four pounds in like three days, I can tell by your Fitbit that you're not walking as much. What's going on? And, and you'll say, you know, I'm a little bit short of breath. They can get you in before you have a full-blown crisis, which would, you know, which you would be admitted to the hospital under normal circumstances because they're incentivized to keep you out of the hospital and keep you at home and healthy. It's a real game changer. And I would say anybody listening to this, you want to search for what accountable care organizations are available within your community and ask your doctor because it sends a strong message. Are you part of an accountable care organization? And if he says no, say, how do I get referred to a doctor that is? Because this is going to change the face of healthcare. I, it is going to change the face of healthcare. Is it something that, that, that doctors, that, that doctors or healthcare providers or hospitals are excited about or are, is there a lot of controversy or how, how is that? How is that playing out? Yeah, with anything, you know, with any change, there's a lot of controversy. So I read a research study that 61% of the doctors think it'll negatively impact their practice. But um, there was a group of hospitals and doctors that actually wrote to the heads of um, healthcare committees in the Senate and in the House and said, you know, we save $4.1 billion. So under value-based care, it didn't matter if the patient showed up or not. You still got the money, right? Under fee-for-service, if the patient didn't show up, you didn't make any money. And they said, we saved $4.1 billion in 2020. We think we can save another $313 million if you will include this in the latest um, legislative proposal, which they did not do. Uh, and they said it will help pay for the legislative proposal, um, you know, and, and still it was crickets because, you know, the, the AMA gives a lot of money, um, to campaign funds as well as pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies. And so they didn't make the change. But the organizations that are doing this and doing it well are making the change and keeping people healthier. They, the statistics show you're much more likely to get your eye exam under Medicare um, because they want to get to you early, right, or your flu shot because they're accountable for keeping you healthy. So, um, again, I would say, you know, 
look at your community, see if you can find an accountable care organization. Um, make sure you use the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to check the star ratings of any hospital you go to or any physician that you're seeing because you want them to be at least four stars or above on a five-star system. Um, this, this is just stuff that Americans don't normally do. Uh, I mean, well, I think it changes the whole paradigm because we haven't, I think that the word that comes to my mind is, uh, you know, preventative care rather than after the fact, whether, you know, the congestive heart failure patient is dying, they're going to die because they haven't, uh, they could have come in sooner, but the, you know, so actually if they, if your patient doesn't die, you still keep your patient, which is a good thing. You don't have <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't have to build up your practice. You've got the same pool to. Um, but uh, yeah, so preventative care. You get rewarded for preventative care. Rewarded. That's what isn't that what we're saying? It, it's um, exactly. Yeah. So um, you're incentivized to keep your patients healthy. It's a game changer. I mean, you know, and like you said episodic care or, you know, when you're in a crisis with CHF, everybody is making money around you um, when you come in that way. But, you know, if you're, if you're ca- under a capitated model and the goal is to keep you out of the hospital with CHF, there's all kinds of creative ways to do that. Um, using technology, using nurse navigators, and, there, uh, and communities are doing this and they're doing it very successfully. Talk to us specifically, nurse navigators, like the specific ways of doing it, because I think people are interested in that. Yeah, so a nurse navigator would monitor your um, vital signs, you know, your steps on your Apple Watch or your Fitbit. They would monitor your weight and all of that. And actually, there is software available to the nurse navigators that will bring the person that's most likely to be in crisis up to the top of their list. So if they're taking care of a community of, like, let's say, um, 3,000 people, that's a lot of people to, to sift through their vital signs, right? But if you start to go into crisis, the software will actually push you up to the top of the list, and, and they'll contact you in the way that you prefer, text message, phone call, um, whatever you know, you've set up with them to be contacted. That's how they'll contact you. Uh, and they'll adjust your medication with the doctor. Um, they might have you come into the office. Maybe they'll see you in telehealth and say, hey, you know, that 10 of Lasix that you've been taking for fluid, take 20 for the next five days, and we're going to continue to monitor you. It's very, it's, it's such a simple concept. Remember in the old days when doctors would go to the house, they would take a look at the home environment. They would figure out what you actually really needed. We've lost that touch under fee-for-service, but this value-based care model brings that back into focus. Let's, I think it's let's great. The, the only thing I'm not going to tell them, they can't get, I'm not telling them how much I weigh. I'm going to leave that out of the, the picture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you gained a pound, you gained two pounds. Uh, for, uh, you know what? Um, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, well, the doctors, <laughs> used to, <laughs> the doctors used to come to your house and then light up a cigarette and tell, give you your diagnosis. I wanted you to know, but right. Um, right? <laughs> Yeah, and the other thing, the other thing about this home care model that we talked about earlier, is I can go into a house as a nurse and I can say, oh, geez, I open the refrigerator and say, mm, this isn't good, um, you know, or hey, you're eating really healthy. Um, it's you know the social determinants of healthcare, where you where you live, what zip code you live in, really has an effect on the care that you get. I mean, healthcare is only twenty percent of it. The actual you know doctor nurse relationship, the other. 40 to 80% of it is just, you know, where do you live? Do you have access to fresh food and vegetables? Some people, 
I mean, you know, McDonald's runs specials on Happy Meals, and it's cheaper to go get a Happy Meal than it is to get a salad or an orga- or organic produce. And people just, that's what they eat. And so, you know, they get diabetes. They get really, they get big. Um, they're not taking good care of their health. They can't afford it because they don't have the money. And, you know, that leads me into high prescription drug prices, too, because, um, you know, you can go to one pharmacy, find out, your prescription costs over $700. I'll tell you a little story about my dog. My dog, Pippi Lou, who was, a, who was 16 years old, she was an English setter, and she had uh, some congestive heart failure. So the vet wrote a prescription. Now, re, you know, let me remind you, this isn't insurance or anything. This is us paying out of pocket for Viagra. So Viagra, unbeknownst to a lot of people, is a pulmonary antihypertensive drug. That's what they developed it for. Once they found out the effects on erectile dysfunction, then the price shot up and it became a designer drug. Um, but So they wrote a prescription for my dog, Pippi Lou, to get a month's supply of Viagra. My wife went to a pharmacy and they wanted over $700 for a month's supply at this pharmacy. And so she said nuts to that. And she went out and she downloaded the GoodRx app. GoodRx works with the pharmacy benefit managers, coupons and rebates and all the stuff that goes on under the covers of healthcare that nobody ever sees. And what they did was um, they directed her to a pharmacy right down the road where it was $63 for the month's supply. So the point being, if you can sell it for $63 and make a profit because the pharmaceutical companies like to return 15 to 25% a quarter to their stockholders, um, what are you doing selling it across town at over $700? David, are there David? Are there websites to go to? Like, I mean, this obviously your book is full of all of this kind of information. But if you that is that's a great example. This drug is going to cost seven hundred dollars as opposed to sixty dollars. Could I just Google it right now and and get that information? No, they're pretty protective about it. But GoodRx is is an app everybody should have. So um, you can even with even with insurance. So if you you go somewhere and your prescription is going to cost you like $125 for a month's supply, pull up GoodRx and plug it in and, and see what it costs you without insurance. It may be cheaper. Uh, the only problem, well, the only piece of advice I would say about that is keep your receipts because, you know, you have deductibles in your insurance company and the GoodRx app will treat you like cash. So if you keep your receipts, you can call your insurance company and see if they will accept them as part of your deductible. They may or may not. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a whole other story with insurance companies. But, yes, there are a couple sites I would recommend. The first one we talked about already was the CMS um, star ratings that you can pull up um, on your computer to see how the quality of care that's being delivered by your doctor or by your hospital. The other one is Healthcare Blue Book which will give you a ballpark figure for a procedure. So if you're going in for a total knee in a hospital, in my area, it's about $12,000 if I go into the hospital. If if I'm relatively healthy and I go into an ambulatory surgery center, it costs me $8,000. That's a pretty significant savings. Not a lot of people know that, but if you can get your surgery done in an ambulatory surgery center, that's the best alternative because you will pay less, especially if you have high deductibles. You really want to shop around. The other um, piece of that is in January of 2021, President Trump put in an executive order around price transparency for hospitals. So they had to list 
a boatload of procedures on their web and tell you exactly what it's going to cost. The hospitals have not been compliant with it. Only, I think, 5% have actually followed it to the law. Um, 95% have been non-compliant because they only get fined $300 a day. That's $110,000 a year. They're willing to eat that cost because they don't want you shopping for your health care. They don't want to give you that information. I mean, how many of us go into go into a store and pick up a loaf of bread without looking at what it costs, get to the register and they tell us it's $20. Well, you know, you're going to leave your bread right there at the register. But in <laughs> healthcare, there's no price transparency like that. Well, I have um, an example of that. My leg- daughter-in-law was in the hospital having uh, babies and uh, twins. And then her, in her room, I guess, you know, when she left the hospital, uh, get, gets a bill and the, the Kleenex was $50. I mean, it was $50. Right. I, I, th- I think that's what you're talking about, right? Like who would have thought yeah. you could bring your own Kleenex, but that's an example. Yes. And the other thing that uh, well, we're on that example is not a lot of people know about this, but if you're going to go to the hospital in a non-emergent situation, bag up your medications, take them to the hospital and tell them that you want them to use your medications. The, the pharmacy, pharmacists don't like that, but it's not really about them. It's about you. That will save you money and lower your bill because you can pay $15 for a Tylenol, you know? But here's another question, and I'm a social worker, and so I, I did a lot of hospital social work. One of the things is, and, and you know, we're arming people with all this information and what they should or should not do, but once you get into the hospital, and even when you're on your way to the hospital, this isn't your best moment. So you've, you're vulnerable, you're sick, you don't feel good, you get there, and all of this, how do you navigate all of this? Does somebody else have to be there to navigate it for you? Because... You wouldn't, yeah. be, you know. So you should yeah. definitely, yep. You should have an advocate with you, especially if you're getting surgery. Um, I've got plenty of stories in the book about why you need an advocate with you. But one of the things that you should do proactively, besides read the book, is you should print off a list of your medications and supplements. And first of all, you should always know what your medications are for. If you don't, then you need to consult with the nurse at your doctor's office and discuss that today. Um, and then. Print off multiple copies of it. You can't, you know, give it to the intake nurse, give it to the hospitalist or the doctor who's seeing you, give it to the surgeon, give it to the anesthesiologist, because in the electronic medical record, that if you're going to get hurt by something, it's going to center around medications 95% of the time. Um, it's, it's cumbersome in there. They have to reconcile it. You know, when somebody moves from ICU down to a step-down unit, sometimes they don't discontinue the drugs, the the paralytic drugs that you were on when you were on the ventilator. Um, So it's just that if you're going to get hurt, that's where you're going to get hurt. So just make sure you hand it to them and say, look, this is what I'm on. And when you're getting medications in a hospital, always ask what they're for. So Tylenol has three different names. If you, you know, it's got a generic name, it's got a brand name, and then if it's IV, it's got uh, another name. So, you know, it's hard to even for clinicians to keep up with as much less, you know, the regular public in America. So you want to definitely ask, why am I taking this drug? What's it for? And the nurse should be scanning the medications in front of you because that allows them to check for allergies or anything else that's contraindicated in your medical record. If you if somebody rushes in with a bunch of pills that says, here, swallow this, uh uh-uh, don't do it. So you have to be at the top of your game, even the minute they get you off the ventilator. <laughs> I'm like thinking, I'm picturing <laughs> <Right>. it. 
<laughs> like right. you need to, right. <laughs> you can't, I mean, you may be going under, but you've got to question them about your medication. You have to be questioned. Infection, uh, yeah, I know this. Infection and medication could can kill you once you get into the hospital, which people don't realize, and you do that. You have to really be, I guess, in touch with the system, which is what your book is all about. If you know all this stuff before you go in, it may become more automatic for you. We only have two minutes left. It's a fascinating, well, first of all, the book is really a, a great book to Teach, you know, to teach us what we've been talking about during this past half hour. It's Dr. David Wilcox that I've been talking to, and his book is How to Avoid a Victim of the American Healthcare System, and it's a patient's handbook for survival, which you we all need. So, uh, David, website and or websites we can go to to continue this conversation. Sure. My website is drdavidwilcox.com. That's dr. David Wilcox with one L.com. There's a link up there to the book, which is sold on Amazon um, that you can get. There's also a, a video that explains why I wrote this book and, you know, and why I want to educate the American people to be safe, be safe in the healthcare system. When you access it without doing your background on it, you're, you're like you said, you're vulnerable. Things can happen. Don't be that person. Please be educated when you go in. Ask the questions that you need to ask and be a partner in your health care. Good advice. Be a partner in your health care. Thanks so much for being on the show today, David. Great having you. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate it. And everybody be safe. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 